All right, our guest today here is Purim head coach Dave Cressup. Uh, congrats, coach! First off, on your 600th win um, this past season. That's a that's a huge milestone. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, just tells you that I've been around this game a long time, you know, and it uh, also tells you that you got to have good players around you and good assistant coaches, which I've been fortunate since I've been in Purim. We we've been very fortunate to keep all our assistant coaches the same just about every year I've been here. So. We haven't had much turnover, even. But if a kid, guy, one of the coaches moved, it was probably down to junior high and then back up to our varsity again. So we haven't really lost anybody in my 25 years here. So that's a big thing right there, and uh, you know it's a big number. But you still got to produce winners and uh, try to get to that state tournament. Well, you're you're starting off humble, but I'm gonna need you to boast a little bit as we get going here. You've done a lot of great stuff in Perm, and for anyone listening, I think they can learn a lot from um, your wisdom that you're gonna share with us today. Uh, so the, the way we always start is kind of tell us our coaching Wikipedia page, your coaching Wikipedia page. You mentioned being in Perm for 25 years. Let's go back even further uh, to your playing days. Well, I, uh, I was a graduate from Holly High School. I played basketball at Holly High School back in, graduated in 1978. And from there, I went and played two years of uh, college basketball at Fergus Falls Community College under the legend Dave Retzloff, which is probably one of my best mentors I've ever been around in my life. And he still stays in contact today. And then I proceeded on to go to Valley City State University and played two years of college basketball there. Also ran one year of track over there. And then I, I got my first head coaching job right out of college at Upham, North Dakota. It's a small, small town out by Minot, North Dakota. We had 22 kids in high school, and it, it was a, a, one of the three programs I've been in in my career that uh, they didn't even win a game in six years. So I was stepping into something that I couldn't do anything but go up, and we were fortunate. The kids, uh, the nine kids we had out for basketball bought into it, and, and we started winning, and I was there from 1985 to 1992, and then I went from 92 to 95 in Walhalla, North Dakota, and I stepped into another program that had gone through a lot of coaches and a lot of changes, and, and we got that program going, and we won some games there, and uh, got to the sector that back then it was the district finals to go to state, and and then from 90 and 92, I moved, uh, or 92 to 95 in Wahala. And then 95, I came to Perm, and I've been here ever since. And and uh, it's just a, a great uh, profession to be in. And I've been fortunate to be part of some uh, programs that weren't very good, but uh, was fortunate to build them up a little bit. Yeah, you've done you've done a lot to turn programs around quickly, like we like you said. And we'll get into culture here in a little bit. But just briefly, what are some of the first steps that you – uh, look to accomplish when you take over a new program. I know it's, you know, it's been a few years, obviously, since you've done that, but uh, when you're a younger coach, what were you looking to achieve in that first year? Well, I'll go back to my first uh, day I stepped into Perm. I, I got hired in July, about July 15th uh, in 95. And I said, you know, I got to get something going right away. And uh, as everybody probably knows throughout this coaching profession, it all starts with your youth program. So I went right away and had a K through six basketball camp within a week. I got everything ranged and I got about 60 kids, uh, which was really, really high, I guess, according to numbers for Perm back in those days. And, and I ran a week long camp and I just got to know the kids and that's the foundation. And, and I don't think you can build any culture or get anything started without building it from the ground up. And, and that's where I started. And then we just kept on building from there. And, uh, but the foundation has to be built with those youth. So what is your youth programming? What does your youth programming look like in 2020? 2020, the, well, we start with our kindergarten through fourth grade early uh, in the fall. We have some uh, fundamental camps with them. Uh, we do all the basic fundamentals to make it fun. It's got to be a fun thing that we do. It's about a four-week season there with those kids. 
Uh, we don't do a lot of tournaments with them until they get to like second grade. We run two tournaments, third and fourth. We start up and then we keep going. But after that, we start with our, our, our third through sixth grade. We run a six-week uh, program starting uh, right after MEA. And we go all the way up to Christmas. And we go two to three days a week with them on all fundamentals. And, and then towards the end, we start to get into two-on-two and three-on-three and four-on-four games and very little five-on-five uh, unless the coaches want to do some five-on-five to build up and start working on some things they want to do when they get into their traveling program. So uh, that, that's a real big foundation. And then we start, uh, we have a jacket buddy program. We start as soon as a basketball season starts, we have K through four. We, they, uh, they pay a $20 fee or a $25 fee. And we go out and we uh, get our businesses who have really hopped on board with us. And we run about four different jacket buddy Saturday mornings where uh, we have all our players come in and uh, show some ownership to this program, and we put them in charge for about an hour and a half of each session. And and then they get a duffel bag, and they get a T-shirt, and they get a basketball. They get all these other things that our, that our gracious sponsors have given us over the years. And so we get about 100 and anywhere from 100 to 140 kids. Uh, for our side school, that's pretty good, uh, K through 4. And uh, we run that again for about four Saturdays. And But uh, then then they start their – their off-season stuff for right after Christmas. We I, I put together a what I call the YBA league for uh, uh, the area here, and it's uh, fifth and sixth grade. And we run four Saturdays in uh, December, January, and February, where we run those kids through, and they have uh, regular five-on-five games. And during those things, there's no cost to get in this league. Uh, uh, the programs get this. The hosts get to make a little money for their programs, and then uh, that leads into our regular spring ball season where they play. Oh, fifth and sixth grade probably play six, seven tournaments each. Fourth grade probably plays five. Third grade plays five. And then second grade, maybe give them one or two, depending on how it's going. And so that, that's how we, how we kind of do, do our program. But the biggest thing we do is we have a lot of, lot of fundamentals in almost everything we do. Uh, I think the foundation starts with fundamentals. And we keep telling our kids, even down to third and fourth grade, uh, don't be bored. Don't get bored of being great at these fundamentals. And so we work them over and over and over. And, and by the time they get up to our varsity program, uh, they know what we, what we expect. And, and so uh, we got a foundation laid and it's easier for us when they get to us. So you said 100 to 140 kids in that program. Is that boys and girls or just boys? Just boys. Yeah, that's, Jeez, just, that's uh, unreal. So, yeah, we get we have not had, I'll be honest with you, since I've been here and we really started getting this youth program going. We started in 95, but I'd say from 2000 on, we haven't had less than 110. And uh, it's it's kind of crazy how the numbers are growing. And now we're averaging in our size school, we're averaging, you know, 25 to 30 kids a grade playing, and which is great to see. And it kind of dwindles itself out as they get older. But um, I like to see those numbers high and we keep everybody around. We don't cut. Uh, we can cut if we want, but we don't have to. And uh, I've never had to do that. So I, I, I keep a lot of kids around. So talk about your level of involvement in the youth association from when you took over in the mid nineties to where it is today. Has it changed much or is it pretty, pretty steady for what it was for you in the mid nineties? Well, I took it in 95 and I ran with it and, uh, they've never, uh, nobody's ever stepped in my way. I, I run every, every program, uh, all the way up. I, uh, in fact, I'm in charge of picking all the coaches. I pick every coach for every level. Um, the levels that get tough, I, I ask for some support. And if we don't find some parents that I feel comfortable with, uh, because that's a delicate thing to me. I think I want to know who's doing what in the program and, and really get across the messages we want and what's being taught and how we want it taught. And, and we've never had a problem with that. Uh, 
I'll be honest, there's nobody ever intervened. We don't even have a basketball club that uh, gets involved and takes over. I just run it all. And I set up all the practices. I set up all the tournaments. Uh, I collect all the fees. I do it all from ground up. And I, I really enjoy that part of it. Uh, I have a lady at our bank, which is nice, that takes all the money. So I don't have to deal with any money, which I don't like handling money on it. But she'll take it and put it into account and run it for us. And uh, so it's been, it's been a good thing. I think um, the more involvement I have, and I try all winter long, I'll be honest, Brad, all winter long. Even with our varsity, I try to get at least one practice a week of every level that's going on. So if we have third through uh, eighth grade going, I try to get the one practice a week, and so they can see me and show me who, or they can see who I am and and what I expect. And I just stand there 15, 20 minutes because I don't want to intervene in the coaches. I let them do their things, and but just so they can see me and get to know me. So you mentioned 25 to 30 per grade. Does that come to two or three teams? Well, usually it's three, um, but you know some of them choose not to go on all that off-season traveling stuff. So if if that's the case, then we'll break it down into two teams. But it all depends on the numbers. If there's enough for three, we're on three teams, and I I support it. We only charge each kid um, fifty dollars to play in the off-season program each. So so if they play six tournaments, they're getting a heck of a deal uh, for fifty bucks, and we just absorb the rest into our fundraising program and. And we'll put three teams at three different sites in the wintertime and in the spring to just to get these kids on the floor. So talk about some of that fundraising that goes into having that youth associations. I know, well, I think our team, our program charges like two to two fifty. I don't know the exact dollar amount. You go down south where we're at, you get into the, in the metro area, you're looking at probably three to $600, depending on the association and what level the kids are playing at. So how do you keep those prices so low? Well, the, the, fundraiser, the biggest fundraiser we have is our spring fling tournament we have for grades uh, two through nine. And we use all that money in accordance with the high school league rules to, to offset any cost that we can. And uh, I think the rule is, I'm not positive the rule yet, I think it's like 12 hours you can so-called have to jot it down on a form and pay these kids. Um, but everything we do, uh, that $50, you know, you take that times 12 on a team or 10 on a team, that's only 500 bucks. And you're talking 150 to 200 tournament, it gets eat up, eaten up pretty fast. So we have, we've just built up our fund accordingly. And we just uh, offset those costs with that, with that fundraising of that big tournament we have. And then of course we have some small little uh, YBA things we have in our, you know, during the winter that I mentioned earlier, that raises probably 1500 every Saturday that we host. So we got enough money there to spare a little bit and, and it, we don't we don't charge anything above 50 and it's never changed since I've been here. So um, we've absorbed a lot of costs down the way, but I think it's paid off in dividends for our program as we keep more kids involved. That's awesome. So you have, uh, you know, do you, you know, smaller community, but it's definitely what, what's your graduating class size in Perm? Oh, probably about 120 to 125. So, so, yeah, not I mean, not extremely small. It's a decent sized rural community. Uh, but how do you go about getting buy in from all stakeholders K through 12? Well, we, I think down in the biggest thing is that we have to have the same uh, method of talk throughout the whole program. We, we got to keep things the same and the way we're talking about things and the way we approach things. And, and the, uh, the passion and enthusiasm, I think that I personally, I think I've got a lot of it and I do a lot of things with our program that way. But our coach, other coaches have, have, are so involved. It, it's amazing how much uh, my assistant coaches do and they get down in the youth program and really promote what we're talking about. But I think it all comes down to the attitude that you have as a head coach and your program and what you believe in, your beliefs, of course, then your values, what you value. And, and we just show these kids, no matter what age they are, that they're really important and that basketball can be fun and, 
and we keep it fun. I mean, down in those lower grades, I, I don't really care if we win or lose a game in second grade through sixth grade. I could be honest. Uh, yeah, they want to win. Parents want to win. But it really doesn't matter to me as long as they're enjoying themselves and they can find something positive each time they, they go in the gym. That, that's the key to me. And uh, I'll be honest with you, when we start with 25 and sixth grade, we'll have at least 22 or 23 come out in seventh grade. So our, our losses aren't that big. Of course, general attrition in any school, as you go along, they, you, you lose kids by general attrition. They find out it's not for them or, or it's going to take a lot of work in the skilled sports such as basketball. But overall, we haven't had too much, uh, too much loss because we just want to keep those same attitudes and beliefs and values all the way from second grade or whatever grade we start all the way up to 12th. How do you train your youth coaches? What's that? How do you train your youth coaches? I go to the I go to early practices with them every every year, and, and we have some basic. I, I would say we have a package of about twelve fundamentals that we want taught every year, and the, the shooting one I kind of I kind of really get stickler on. I, I like them to do certain things in shooting that we that we really the progressive shooting. I have them really get that across. They come in the gym and do their one-handed shooting right away. Uh, practice on that and then break that down as they go through a practice and then it's all the ball handling skills uh, I've got a great two great assistant coaches that if you want I can elaborate on now it's our summer workout if you wanted to go into that but go for it okay it's this is what we do we have a we have our summer workout plan where we go great uh, two days a week for sure full-time uh, four through 12 and I have two guys that we charge $40 a kid to be involved in this program and they get all the way from June to all the way through July uh, anywhere from 14 to 18 sessions, depending on how the summer works out. And then I pay these coaches for their hard work during this time. And we go break it down into four through six for an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and say like a Tuesday morning from 7 to 8.15 and then 8.30 to 9.45, we bring in our 7 through 9. And then from 10 o'clock to 11.15, we bring our 10 through 12. And it is full blast, fundamental, hardcore to the nut to the grind for an hour and 15 minutes. Um, and then they let them have a few fun activities at the end. But these guys that I've hired, they, they went out and researched all the, all the fundamental stuff that they wanted. And they asked me if I had money to buy it. I bought them all kinds of programs and they put it all together and then uh, they just go to work and uh, they do a phenomenal job with it. Talk about your shooting progression. Well, it's, it's, it starts within two feet. We always put three guys, no matter what level, even a varsity level. You, if you came to one of our practices, you'll see three guys around the basket early in practice. It'll be all one-handed shooting. They got to make at least five from that spot at each of those. And, and some of the older kids, we, we demand them to swish, swish before they can move on, but we don't do a lot of that. And then we back it up. We have three spots in our shooting progression that we do every time. And, you know, I'm not, I don't get into that uh, changing the elbow in and pulling the elbow in. I, I really don't get into that part too much because you can mess with kids' heads. I think it's, it's really important just to let them shoot and relax. If it's something really out of line, we'll try to correct it. But as they get older, I, I'll be honest, 9 through 12, we don't mess with it too much. Uh, we talk about the, the balance, the, the framework, the balance on the feet. Uh, that's really, really important to me that they get balanced, get their legs under them, and and then it's going to be repetition. Uh, once you get them established with the, with the proper form that you want, then it's got for them to get to work and uh, do that, that proper repetition. That's good stuff. I think a lot of coaches are probably writing some notes down on uh, how to improve their shooting. I'm doing the same thing. That's something that uh, me and my, or my assistant coach and myself have talked about. We shoot you know, 20 to 25 threes a game, but uh, we, got to, we got to do a little bit better job of, of coaching it up in the offseason. So that's good to hear. Uh, your culture. I hear a lot about the Perm basketball culture. You've mentioned your values and beliefs. 
And so what are your core values or standards that make up that culture of uh, Purim basketball? Well, I, to be honest with you, when the kid steps in, uh, I think they would have a pretty good idea, Brett, from day one, if they step into, if you step into nine through 12 practice, they're going to have to have the foundation that they're going to play defense, they're going to play hard, and they're going to play smart, and they're going to play together. I, I, I firmly believe that a kid, when he steps into our gym, going into ninth grade, knows that if he doesn't play defense, he's probably not going to be on the floor very often. And that that's a culture that I've really, really established way back when I started here. I said, if, if, you're, if your kids are going to come in and they're going to get pushed, uh, that, that leads into the next part of this thing is my expectations are high every year. And your kid's going to get pushed. I tell the parents right away in a parent meeting, your kids are going to have high expectations. They're going to get pushed. It's uh, Some days they're not going to like the head coach very well. But that's, that's part of being in a program that's going to be established as one of the best. And as you know, as you're getting your program to where ours is, I feel, is you're gonna, your culture is going to get bullets shot at a lot. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to try and invade it from the inside outside. And to build that, that, that culture inside your team, Brad, I feel it's really important that you get to your kids and talk to them about all these voices that are on the outside, trying to tell them what's going on. They got to put those voices aside. Uh, because if they go home after a game and they score 25 and hear how good they are, they're the best in the world, uh, they come back to practice the next day, they have a different attitude. and we, we, we won't accept it. It's not going to be accepted in our program. So I'm in their ear a lot by just listen to us, trust and believe in what we're doing, and things will be a lot better because they have so many things going on in, in their lives and, and people trying to influence them. They got coaches coming at them from AAU to college to whatever. And, and we just try to keep them right balanced inside of us and, and believe in what we're doing. And, and that's really important to me. And then another thing that deals with our culture and ours is the body language. Body language, bad body language is not accepted. Um, if you've ever watched me coach, our, our kids very seldom, I'm not going to say always, but very seldom are they going to raise their hands at a referee and put their arms up and say, why me or why did I get the foul? It's, it's not going to happen. Um, and I can use an example of that. One of our best players, I'd say he was one of our top two players this year, uh, summer ago at St. Cloud, decided he was going to talk to me in a bad way. Up, uh, right when we started the game, two minutes into the game, he's going to talk to me on the court in a bad way. I pulled him and sat him the whole game. And we, and we won the game. And I said, now, and he came back and he became one of our best leaders I've ever, ever coached in my life in Perm. So uh, you got to teach those kids, those, those, those little things and, and body language just is one of those. I don't, I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it. I, I, I think I've got it instilled now that, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to act like that. And, and being servant leaders is another one that kind of goes with that. Uh, being a servant leader and our kids are getting better at that. We're not very good yet. And, what I mean by servant leader is if there, if the locker room you go into is clean when you go in there, it better be clean when you leave. And, and it can be anybody. I don't care what age you are or what, what do you, what's your role on this team. Uh, you, you better be a servant leader and pick them up. And, uh, and we had some kids this year that I thought were really good at um, little things like treating the, the elderly better. Uh, I saw that several times. I got some letters from some parents and, and from other communities that our kids were so nice to these elderly people that couldn't get into their seats and help them in there. That's the kind of stuff you want to hear. Uh, wins and losses will take care of itself. Uh, as you know, once you get winning going, it, it breeds winning. And uh, I'll be right now in our culture right now, Jeremy, I'll be honest, or Brett, I'll be honest, is that I don't think our kids uh, expect to lose. Uh, they walk onto that floor and they say, uh, they got to beat us first, and and it, it kind of gets ingrained in them that that winning. But we know we're going to lose. We know we're going to get beat. 
Um, but then we got to be gracious winners and gracious losers along the way. So that it's once that culture is there, um, what you're noticing now in Princeton is that people are going to come at you and uh, you're not very well liked once you get on top and, and people are going to try to get into there. And uh, we try to avoid that if we can. We'll, tell, we'll come back to that winning mentality here in a minute, but I want to know more, like what are some things specifically, have you brought in speakers or team building related exercises or what are some things you've done to build that culture? Well, we, we have a speaker every year and I think one of the best I've had in the last two years is Todd Default. Uh, he is, if nobody knows about this guy, I, I would bring him into your program and talk to, he'll, he'll uh, tailor it to whatever you want to talk about. And we had complacency this year from the year we didn't want to be complacent from the year before. And he came in and he talks for about an hour and a half, two hours. And I would say those, those two years that he talked to us, uh, you know, we went 30 and three the year before and we were 28. No, this year going into our section final game. And he had a lot to do with it. It wasn't uh, just us. It was what he, the message he brought across to them and he is really powerful. So if you can find the right speaker to come in that fits your needs and your program, um, I think that's a big way to do it. I, I hadn't done a lot of that before, but I, I've had some uh, quotes put down by Laysan Perkins. I, I'm sure you've heard of Laysan Perkins running mm -hmm. all these virtual clinics. He and I became yep. friends here about 15 years ago. I flew him in from North Carolina and he talked to me about culture and how to establish it. And he talked to me about the Euro ball screen offense and we put our minds together and, and that's where it all kind of originated. But those guys can have such a big influence. And I think it's really important, uh, Brett, that you bring in guys that you trust that will have the same kind of mindset as you do going into your program. And, and then the kids can hear it from a different voice because you're sometimes our voices just bounce off of them. They aren't listening to you anyway, but we were fully ingrained. We opened that the last few years. We opened that up to parents too, along with the players, and and it was very powerful. I thought Todd, if if you get default in, he's uh, he's amazing and he's really good at what he does. So uh, one of the things we like to do, or I like to do in this podcast, is we did the Wikipedia page early. But advice for a first year head coach, and I want to make it specific to this culture topic that we've been on. So you're talking to a first year head coach. What would be some big advice that you would give them in year one on establishing their culture? Well, I think it uh, comes back to what attitude you're going to try to get across to your, your, the, whole, the whole program. What, what attitude, what beliefs, what expectations do you have? Because you got to lay that foundation of uh, are you going to try to win right away? Are you going to try to establish a program that gets numbers out? You know, you got to have your ideas of where you're, what direction you want to head first. When I came to Perm, my first objective, I'll be honest with you, when I started, um, I don't know if you know the history of Perm in the past. They had won about, uh, oh, probably six games in six years total. Uh, the past six years, they had gone through about four coaches when I stepped in. So I said to myself, right when I got here, I was going to go right in. I was going to establish myself as a guy that they could trust, they could believe in, and they could also get what they're going to get as a hard worker that will never stop until he gets his goals. So I, I went into it with that belief. And then, the, like I told you, I started that youth thing right away because without without a youth program, I, I don't think you're going to survive in today's world. If you don't run a good youth program, you're going to have a, you're going to have a team, but I don't think you're going to have that championship team that you really, that a lot of coaches are or should strive for. And so when you, when you're talking beginning, I'd say, let's get down to those youth, get to know those youth, not just run a youth program. I think it's really breath. I think it's really important that you, those kids know who you are because the bigger the school, the harder it is to get to know who those kids are. And in your case, you're a pretty large school. So I think it's really, really valuable that you go down to a second grade classroom and they get, or a 
practice and they get to know you and they know who you are as a head coach, boy, you're in for some good things coming along because you just made that powerful impact that can last forever and, and they'll never forget you. And that's why I make it a point. And I did, I would do that as a young coach is go there first, start building year by year and getting those kids in there. Then of course, then all that, the culture has to be built by your fundamentals and your, your everything that goes with building a program. But I, I, I truly believe I, I would never go without, uh, if I was starting one over today, I'd go right in and I'd start from the base one again. I'd go right down into those youth class or those younger classes and uh, tell them who I am and uh, day one. And we'd start that youth camp from that point on. I was lucky enough, and you know Eric Bierman, who was the head coach at Princeton before I took over, who did a really, really good job of establishing a youth program here that I was able to come in and I didn't have to really change anything because it was set in place pretty well. Just kind of tweak it to make it my own. And we've done some nice stuff in the summer. We, we expanded our uh, three days a week, kind of like you mentioned, the three days a week uh, summer programming, June and July. We include that four through 12. We do one hour and a half uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we do an hour and a half session of our fourth through eighth graders to be. And then we do an hour and a half of our ninth through 12th graders. So they're getting a good four and a half hours in the gym every day and every week in the summer. Obviously, Kids are in AAU as well. We'll play in our breakdown tournaments. I know we've crossed paths in summer tournaments in the past as well. So that's something that we've done that's been successful in the summer. But, yeah, I think when you can make that early connection, especially in these communities, you know, we're really not dealing with transfers. You know, we'll have kids probably move in, move out, just like you'll probably have some families who might move in and out. But for the most part, we both know who's going to be the core of our team when they're seniors, uh, or at least maybe not who the starters are going to be. But generally speaking, we know who the numbers are going to be. Uh, that are in kids are in the basketball program probably about fifth sixth grade you kind of know who's going to be a a kid who's going to stick it out versus kids who are going to go a different direction so I think that's so powerful to go in early and make that connection yeah I think I think you could I could elaborate on a little more is that the building relationship part a piece of basketball coaching is is probably the most important because uh you probably had this happen already which I'm sure you have and I have too and is that the kids that come back they keep coming back after they graduate, you know, you've built that relationship with them. And, and I just got the most powerful message from one of my players uh, the other day that he wrote me a note that, that it, I'm not kidding you. It was, it was number one that I've ever received in my life. He wrote me and he was a kid that was on the barely made the JV team last year and barely played who started this year and had an outstanding season. And he, he just took his time and uh, to write me this note that uh, made me tear up and cry a little bit at home. And, I saved that and I shared that with his father. In fact, this morning I shared that with his father and, and he was already had said he had already listened to it. So when you can build that relationship, get that connection, uh, these kids will do anything for you. Uh, they may not like you on certain days when you have to punish them and practice or run them or do whatever, but it's not that. It's that uh, 10 years from now when they realize how important uh, basketball was to them and, how, you know, because basketball, I tell kids all that uh, all the time. I say basketball is a very short time of year life. Uh, it's, it's a small thing. Uh, it's, it's not, that's not the most important part because a lot of you aren't even going to play college and probably none of you are going to play pro, but the, the relationship you can have with me and know that I'll be there for you for the rest of your life. Those are the things that are valuable. And yeah, we like to win. We like to go to state. We like to place high, but that's not the important part. Let's talk about winning though. It is important. You're right. And we've, and I've had that with various guests that I've had on so far and, uh, those lives. And, and we got a great example of that this past season. We were lucky enough to be able to play our section final game on Thursday and have our state tournament that we qualified for get canceled. You guys, unfortunately, didn't get to have your big section final game against Fergus Falls. But the great opportunity, at, once the dust kind of settled, to have those real-life conversations with kids 
about being able to deal with that adversity. Uh, life's going to throw hurdles your way. And how are you going to go about that? And how are you going to go over those hurdles? And how are you going to deal with adversity? Uh, and that relationship is so strong. So I think we had a, we had a great opportunity in the basketball community uh, to see the big picture that basketball is important, but there are way more important things out there. Absolutely. And that was, that's, I learned a big, good lesson for me. I've been in this for 35 years and I learned a valuable lesson that day. We were about uh, 11, 15 in the morning. We were getting ready just to talk about our walkthrough and uh, what we we're going to do after school. I walked out and we were going to have a little meeting and uh, the AD came in prior to that and said, coach, it's all over. Your, your season's done. And I, I just about, I had sixth grade classroom full of kids and I, I just about the, teared up right there, but I said, we got to meet with these kids right now. So I walked, he walked me down and the superintendent was great. Uh, we got the kids in a room and I walked in there and I, I've never seen such uh, little kids that would already had heard about it from John Moy on, uh, on his uh, Twitter feed. So yeah, they already heard it and I had to present that to them. And, and to those seniors, you know, we had, we had uh, eight or nine quality seniors that just stood there and looked at me and one of the kids didn't even bat an eye. And he was one of our top players. He just sat there in disbelief and, and then he uh, finally, after we're done, came down and embraced and some big hugs and some tears. And I had to say it was all over. It was, but I told him, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to look at this as a 28-0 season that nobody can take away from you. You're going to be sitting right. along, you know, you're sitting with your buddies at a, at a, I don't know if they're drinking a beer or having some fun together. And, and they, they can look back and say, nobody can take away, take that away from you. But it was a very tough thing. And it was a lesson learned. And I, I think it made some kids really grow up and realize that, you know, life, life's going to throw some uh, whammies at you and you got to be able to handle them. And, but then they get whammied again this spring with possible no spring sports. It, you know, they're getting double whammy this year and, and we got to be there for these kids as they, as you know, they struggle through this. But um, I think they're growing men and they, they learn some things from this and they can take it into their life as they move forward. So you hit on all the important things. You've talked about relationships. You've talked about youth development and youth programming still got to win basketball games, right? No matter how good you are, no matter how strong your bonds are, no matter how good your youth association is, at the end of the day, you got to win basketball games. It's a competitive sport that we coach. And so how have you installed that winning mentality uh, in your program? Well, the winning mentality, I think, start again, we're starting down the, at the bottom. But when we get into that high school season, when we get into that 9th through 12th season, uh, grade program, we – we always stress the importance of setting those goals that are achievable. And everybody says, oh, I want to win a state championship. I said, that's, that's really not a, a really, it's a good goal, um, but it's a goal that I don't like to set very often. I want them to set them in pieces, uh, you know, in, in increments of like three, three to four weeks. How can I get better in three to four weeks? What, what did I notice that was better? You know, because the goal has got to be measurable too. And I, I think it's the winning mentality comes from, first of all, when we, we finally broke through, and that's where our winning mentality started, Brett, was probably, oh, well, we've been fortunate the last 14 years. We've been pretty good. Uh, but we had never beaten Staples back when I first came to the perm. We had never been able to beat Staples Motley and Lynn Peterson and that, that dynasty that they had for many, 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 many years over there. And once we beat them, uh, they've only, I think, only beaten us one time since then. So, you know, there's little hurdles you got to take. And, and my co assistant coach and I talked about it all the time about winning mentality. You've got to go one little step at a time. And I've, I really preached that with our girls basketball program this winter. Uh, coach Super had me come in and talk to them a little bit right before playoffs about what it takes to get to the next level because they're, they're winning 17, 18, 20 games, but they can't get over that first round game or that second round game. And I said – it's going to take it's going to take an attitude and a mindset that you're going to get by that one because once you get by that one 
the other hurdles aren't quite as bad because you, I mean, they're always tough because there's always good teams and there's such good coaches throughout the state of Minnesota. You're not, you're not going to walk through anything, but once you get over those little hurdles and set those little goals and those ones that can be attained at, in, in short bursts, I, I think that's a key to, to really getting that winning mentality. And after we beat Staples and we started to win and we got, then we had the build to get past the second round of the uh, section tournament. And we hadn't been there yet in my first 10 years. We got there a lot, but we never got by it. And as soon as we won that one, then it, then it, start, then it just kept on building. And now, you know, now they're getting into that mentality, like I mentioned earlier, that, hey, it's going to take a team to beat us. They have to come and beat us now. And said they don't they don't look at it as, as losing. They want to they want to win. And and it's just little increments. I think I, I I don't know if that's a good answer or not. But I, I think it just has to be in baby steps because you're not going to get it all at once. Like people want to see instant gratification in everything we do. But just take it baby steps and then build from there and get that mentality, get that mindset that we're going to take that next step next year. And and maybe you can get it done. Expectations for parents. You mentioned early on that, you know, you're going to have uh, people in your program who are trying to poke holes into your culture and get in their kids' ears. And, you know, we practice with our kids. We might be with them. Uh, we, we go no longer than 90 to 100 minutes on the court. We might mix in 10 to 20 minutes of film. But really, we see our kids for no more, no more than two hours on a practice day, maybe three or four hours on a road game. Uh, the parents see their kids a lot. And so how do you lay that groundwork? And what are your expectations for the parents in your program? Well, we have our parent meeting probably like just about everybody else in the in the state of Minnesota, and and we really re lay the ground rules there. And it's really basically pretty simple. Um, you you uh, I don't tell parents how to parent. Uh, I just tell them right away. I said don't don't come and tell me how to coach. I mean don't have, don't evaluate our coaches in an hour and a half to hour forty five minutes. You see us in a game situation. I said please don't do that to us. And we talk about uh, right away. We raise the thing about. Uh, you know, the playing time issue that always comes up, but 99.9% .9 of my complaints in my career of 35 years have been playing time. And I, I made it loud and clear. And I still do today. When I was younger, I had a harder time with that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I first started out, I didn't know how to handle parents very well. And, and maybe I still don't today, but I've laid the expectations down that we're not going to talk about playing time. We're never going to mention another kid's name. Uh, when we talk about anything, but your kid can come to me all the time and ask me what they want, what they need to do and what they want to do to get better. I'll, I'll explain that to them all the time, but uh, we're not going to come and talk about, Oh, can Johnny get 15 more minutes if he does this? No, we're not going to, we're not going to talk about that. Let's, let's go to a practice session, you know, and I, I've invited a few parents to a few practice sessions a few times, but I, I've never had them show up. So I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes, I don't know if they want to come or they just don't are scared to come or if I frighten them. I, I, cause I'm not a, I, you know, when I coach, I look like I'm a real tough guy, but I'm, I'm not really a tough guy, uh, Brad. I'm a real emotional guy that, that really cares about, about kids. I care about the basketball program and I care about guys like you. I want, I want you to succeed as much as me. I, I care about our coaches in the state of Minnesota. I love our coaches. I, uh, the, the friendships I've made uh, uh, throughout this whole journey have been just simply amazing. I would have never got to meet you. And look, look at what that, our friendship has done. And the guys that, like Jeff Wall that I've, I've become really good friends with, and the list goes on and on. Uh, so I tell parents, don't, don't invade in, into any of our stuff. Leave our, leave our job to us because we get paid for this job. And, and really, it's pretty simple, uh, Brad. I don't, I don't get into a lot of things uh, other than that. And I – Cross my fingers. Last few years, you know, beside behind our back, I'm sure there's stuff said all the time about the coaches. Why did you run this? And 
They pay their six bucks or eight bucks. They can tell me up in the stands all they want. Why do you run that offense? I don't really care. Um, but don't tell you know don't don't challenge the my in my integrity um, because they don't really know me that well inside me. What kind of person is and how much I care about their kids? Or they don't see us in a practice session or in a locker room putting our arms around kids that are weeping and crying or, or struggling with things because they don't see that part. And a lot of times, kids these days don't share those things with their parents because. It's just something that doesn't happen. And so uh, to be honest with you, I don't elaborate a long time. Our parent meeting is probably 30 minutes long. I talk about how excited I am, our passion, our, our expectations of our team. I give out schedules. I do all that probably like anybody else. But I'm not going to sit there and elaborate because the more you uh, let them involved in things, uh, the more problems you might have. Plain time thing is interesting, too, because with basketball, it's so subjective, right? I mean, fall trouble, opponents. Uh, the way the game's being played and scouting reports. And there's so much more that goes into basketball. You can't tell a kid. You get into a lot of trouble if you tell a kid, hey, I'm going to give you 10 minutes tonight. Well, what if the starters are rolling? You don't want to bring that bench kid in at the four-minute mark. Maybe you wait until the seven-minute mark to bring him into the game. And so playing time is such a – such a, and that would be an advice I would give a young coach too. And I've made that mistake when I first started. Is that, hey, you're going to look to play 10 to 15 minutes tonight. Well, hell, how do you know how the game's going to go? Right? You, maybe, you're, maybe your kid who gets two falls every single night who you know is coming out at 10 minutes into the first half with two falls, he's playing smart. And so you just get yourself into a lot of trouble when you start putting a black and white number on how many minutes that a kid's going to play. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. I think when I, my first 10 years, I probably did that way too much. I think I made a <laughs> lot of mistakes. And I, and I still make mistakes today. As coaches, we say something that, oh, no, I regret it five minutes later. Uh, but I won't talk. I won't ever now. I know that for sure. Tell a kid how many minutes he's going to get. Uh, that, that's asking for trouble there. And like you said, that could be another thing we could add on to youth coaches or the young coaches coming in is uh, don't make any promises. You know, just just be your. And the other thing I'd add on to that is just be yourself. Be who you are. Don't try to change yourself to fit somebody else. Just be yourself. And and, uh, and that'll be good enough. Uh, those young guys coming in, we got to keep these guys in and we. And that, that we talk about a little bit with parents too. It don't drive coaches out because we don't have that many that want to get into this anymore. So we got we to gotta keep these guys in that are good. And right now in the state of Minnesota, I don't know. I've been doing it a long time, Brett. And I don't know if there's any better right now. This core of coaches we got uh, in our two-way system for sure. And I follow your your league and your your level quite a bit. And I call, follow the 4A and 1A. Uh, we we just got tremendous people, not, not just great coaches. We got tremendous people. And – and uh, we don't want to drive them out. And that's one way we can avoid that. I agree 100%. Here's what we got. Uh, and I knew this was probably going to happen. So we're reaching about 40 minutes. I want That's usually my target number. So what we're going to do is I got one more question for you. We're going to hit, hit stop and we're going to break this into two parts. So I want to get into the uh, offensive stuff that you guys run and the defensive stuff. Are you cool with that? You bet. All right. So one more question here. Part one, we'll hit stop and then we'll reset and we'll, and we'll record part two. So last one, uh, you're a popular guy on social media with all the questions. And so – Talk about the community support that you've had throughout Purim and how you built that uh, support uh, uh, community-wide. Well, I reached out uh, right when I got here again back in 95. The support was maybe 20 people in the stands. Um, I first, the first year that we took over this program, we, had, we got eight wins that first year, and we probably averaged maybe 100, 150. But I didn't get myself involved in going downtown and promoting the program to the, the community and to the downtown businesses and at, telling them how they could be involved and how they could support this. And I did that year after year. And, and now I've got so much community support, with, especially with our youth programs. You know, they donate lots and lots of money to our programs. And, and we're fortunate we have some bigger businesses in town that are, are really sports-minded. And they know if it goes towards kids that they, 
they will support us that way. And so we kept doing it every year. And pretty, and now, you know, we're last five years, we've averaged probably 12 to 1500 fans a game. And uh, the other, the, our last Concordia game, we had probably 3,500 people up there when we played East Grand Forks in the, uh, in the semifinals of our section this year. So um, we, we fill it and fortunate we were nice enough or the community is good enough to give us a brand new gymnasium. Our new, uh, our new gym is re really special and uh, people like to come out and watch that. But we, we are fortunate. We put a good product on the floor and uh, right now that support is just out of the world. Uh, we, we don't have any problem putting people in the stands and supporting our program now. And I think it's done because we put a good product for one thing. Uh, we've had kids actively involved in our community, doing community projects and myself being involved and, and uh, sending thank yous to people when they need it to, for coming out and support our team and, and doing all those little things that you can make them feel part of it too. And, and they are part of it because they support us in uh, many different ways. All right, so we'll wrap up part one. We'll come back here with part two. Thanks, Coach. Uh, we'll take a break, and then we'll come back with part two. All right, thanks.